Hello and welcome to the last edition of The Culture Bunker for the year. I'm Sean Pattenden. And I'm Andrew Harrison. The holidays are almost here and we have two top music critic guests to help us chew over the rest of the best of the year. And I also get to choose some of my favourites as well. Yippee. <laughs> All this and more in a reflective, socially distanced culture bunker. Welcome to the Culture Bunker. As we hold off the cooking sherry for a moment and stop worrying about who nicked the wreath from the front door, let's talk the best of the year with two of the finest culture hawks who seize on the trends of the moment as if they were mere mice. Lauren Barton is a features editor for The Guardian, Observer, New York Times and many, many more. She's also a regular contributor to BBC Radio 4 and her next non-fiction book, Sad Songs, will be published in autumn 2022. Hello, Laura. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. You were recently on Josie Long's Shortcuts on Radio 4, I believe. You wonder if you've been cursed by the comedian Stuart Lee and it's something to do with sandwiches and I need to know more. <laughs> when I was um, 15, 16, um, I went to Edinburgh Festival and went to one of Stuart Lee's early shows and he passed around fortune sandwiches um, instead okay. of fortune cookies and mine said... It had, I opened it up and it had a, a picture of Craig Logan from Bross and a little motto saying, um, you will never be happy in it. Um, <laughs> oh, so I had to, I went and met up with Stuart and he released me from the curse. So. But Craig Logan from Bross is the most happy mm, member of Bross. He's the one who went now. on to happiness and fulfillment. I know, yeah. I know. I met him once when he was managing Pink. He seemed a very Your happy. sandwich lied to you. Uh, well, it, maybe it was about me being unhappy, not not Craig Logan from Brass. Maybe. You didn't mention the sandwich to Craig Logan. I didn't. I kept that to, very much to myself. <laughs> He'll know now. I'm sure he's a regular listener. <laughs> um, sure. You've also completed the book Sad Songs, I believe. Mm -hmm. What makes a sad song sad? What is the book oh, about? Good, well, good grief. <laughs> There's a lot of things that <laughs> Good grief, the name. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, well, it's kind of a memoir, um, but I shy away from saying that because... Um, it sounds terribly dreary, um, <laughs> but uh, there are lots of things that can make a, a, a song sad. Some of it's about sort of chord structure, some of it's about notes, some of it's about <laughs> lyrics, some, you know, some of it's just whatever mood you're in when you're listening. So yeah, a mixture of things. I see. Also, I need to mention the incredible interview you did with the reformed Tears for Fears for The Guardian. I mean, it seemed like a therapy session for the both of them, um, <laughs> how it all panned out. How were they? And for the listeners who haven't seen that or read that article yet, what did they reveal? How did you get it out of them? They were just, they were incredibly open, actually, and, and they've done a lot of therapy themselves and I've done a lot of therapy. So it was just a therapy loving in a small <laughs> conference room in a, in a central London hotel. But it was, um, uh, Roland was talking about the, the death of his wife and about um, alcoholism and, um, and the difficulty of losing somebody you love um, slowly through, through that disease. Mm -hmm. And um uh, it was incredibly moving, and and I'm sure as Ted and all of you know, um, when when interviewees trust you with with things that are very precious, mm -hmm. um, you really try to do your best to not not crush it. So, um, yes, I'm glad you liked it. Um, yeah, they were they were lovely to speak to. Yeah, it was fantastic, and they also fell out themselves, didn't they? They weren't speaking for a while. <laughs> they did for a little bit. Yeah, I think I think their lives just you know they'd known each other since they were teenagers, and their lives had gone in these different directions, and they're two very distinct characters and living very distinct lives and having their own pressures and blah blah blah. And but yes, they they reunited and realised how much they meant to one another. Oh. No, it was a fantastic. Fun fact, Roland actually helped save the Hampstead School of Art by giving them loads of his his oh. dosh. 
to save the building. So he's a good chap. He is. He is indeed. Well, you may well be hearing uh, some tears of fears on this podcast uh, later in the in the new year. So keep keep an ear, ear out for us. But also joining us today to live, laugh, and love at the year that was twenty twenty one is one of my old comrades, Ted Kessler. He's a music writer. He's worked for everybody from the NME and the Observer. Uh, he's the author author of My Old Man, a book about fathers, featuring the likes of Paul Weller and Tilda Swinton. But most importantly, he's the former editor of Q magazine, uh, and he's now at the helm of the new Q, the greatest music letter in the, uh, newsletter in the world. Ted, how are you doing? I'm wondering if I had too much coffee. That's what I'm, doing. <laughs> I'm really rushing quite badly at my kitchen desk, involved in what sounds like a very complicated phone call with you three. Yes, so, it, um, it's a bit like being honest. We're, we're back to isolation, unfortunately, because mm-hmm. of Omicron and Plan B. So listeners may notice that uh, our usual high-quality studio sound is perhaps a sli- little tiny bit absent this time. Ted, tell tell the listeners about the new Q, as in C-U-E. Uh, you've got into the, uh, the, the burgeoning world of newsletters. I have. We have. I do it with um, Niall Doherty who I used to work with at Q and with Chris Catchpole, who used to work with at Q. We, um, we were locked down and wondering what we were going to do. And so we, from our respective kitchen tables, launched this music newsletter, which is kind of like a music paper, we hope, that you can read on your phone or your laptop two or three times a week. It's an absolutely splendid resource. I'm a paying subscriber, and it's it, you know it's really good because <laughs> everything yeah everything that uh, the music press used to do for you directing you to the new stuff, uh, bringing you uh, interesting things about people that you already have a kind of a pre-existing relationship with. It's all in there in a more kind of palatable format, perhaps than having to traipse to a news agent that isn't there anymore to find a magazine that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, what can you do three times a week that you can't do monthly? He said, perhaps rhetorically. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you can make it a bit more zippy. For a start, and so you can have uh, you can have a mixture of things, a short things, and we can react much quicker if we do it three times a week rather than monthly. Who've been your big gets? Who've who've been your uh, your, your favourite uh, kind of catches? Great question. Um, who have we had? We've had Alanis Morissette. We've had Saint Vincent. We've had Paul Weller. We've had some other people that I can't think at the moment. Uh, Tom Jones. <laughs> Ooh. We've had, um, we've had, we've had the whole gang, and uh, you know, in terms of like people, you know, because the, the format's quite different from the uh, obviously from the kind of he- the hefty tome uh, that were monthly magazines. Do, do, do you find people are more revealing? Will people say stuff that they didn't say uh, previously because you know the world has kind of changed around them? Maybe I think also because we do there's sort of twenty minute chats on the phone or mm. on Zoom, and people just. Um, they're kind of more relaxed because not there's not a big this is not the big sit down two hour interview we're going to trail around for weeks and weeks on end. It's just like can we get you on the phone for half an hour? Yes, we can. So let's have a chit chat. And um, the questions are slightly lighter. I guess we kind of copy and smash hits format wise. Um, you can do a lot days. worse. Kind of, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can get in and out. Just kind of get in and get some funny quotes. And Niall Doherty's very very good at that. So I make him do a lot of the heavy lifting. Do you think it's a different time for music writing now that kind of everything's running through indie websites and the the kind of pressure to uh, you know you've got to sell two hundred thousand copies of this on the newsstand, otherwise you'll all be fired. Now that's all evaporated. Does it mean that the writing is a bit freer and easier, or perhaps better? I think maybe with. Just the way you read things electronically has to be a, a bit free, has mm. to be a bit quicker and a bit zippier because that's how we consume, unfortunately, lots of writing. There's still obviously a place for long-form writing. I just don't know where that place is. It might not be in your phone window. 
No, if someone could to launch some places for that, then maybe we could all make some money writing for those places too. <laughs> but but I, I think I, it, certainly there is space in my mind for it. But I think yes. uh, in terms of electronically, we just have to do something a bit zippier. If the listeners want to see it, where can they find it? I mean, we'll put a link in the show notes, but where, where can they find the new queue? They just Google the new queue and it'll pop up. It's on um, it's a, a Substack website. So there you go. Substack's eating the world. Yeah, but you know it's a great model. I don't want to. I'm not. You know, it's, don't want to sound like a moony, but you get a really good deal from them. That you, you they, they just take ten percent, and you, mm. and it's, and you, it's direct to the consumer, and that's a really nice way of doing it. There's not layers of marketing you have to pay. There's not other all these other fools I used to work with in some publishing houses. You just go straight <laughs> to the reader. And, uh, <laughs> Anyway, right. Yes. Well, enough of Ted revealing what's behind the curtain. Look on yonder. Is that Mary on a donkey, guided by a sort of star with Joseph walking next to her with a crate load of records and DVDs? Of course it is. Let's begin our review of the year. All right, let's start with the album of the year because it's the big one and we've got two heavy hitters of the music critic universe with us, plus Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> I got to choose mine a couple of weeks ago, but what will our panel go for? As regular listeners know, we can't clear every track we talk about but we put everything on our rolling Spotify playlist. The link's at the top of the show notes. Here's some tasters of three of our albums of the year. It's Self-Esteem woo, with Moody from Prioritise Pleasure. Then Bangers O'Clock, it's Bicep with Apricots from their album Isles. And let's get cosmic for a moment. It's Orion from the Streets by Field Music from Flat White Moon. Sexting you at the mental health talk seems Barton, you've chosen Prioritise Pleasure by Self-Esteem. She's been a favourite all year long, especially around our way. What's so special about this record for you? I think she has um, an incredible ability to sort of capture female experience and contemporary female experience and ambivalence about all the sort of things we're supposed to be doing and feeling and 
performing in in our lives, whether that's about relationships or motherhood or sex. She's ha- she talks about you know the difficulty of just simply walking down the street as a woman, or all the kind of mm-hmm. opinions people have about how you should be living your life, or you know, and, or about desire or difficult friendships or different working relationships. And she's just been, I think she was incredibly open on her first record, but this record, she's really, really been even more um, unflinching, I think. And then, you know, couple that with some uh, excellent tunes and brilliant production by uh, Johan Karlberg and dance routines. I don't know if you've, any of you have had the chance to see her live, but it's, it's one of the most incredibly moving experience I cannot I mean I've seen her live a million times but um Mm -hmm. I took some friends to her homecoming show in Sheffield and they'd never seen her before and I turned around at the end and they were all in tears and that's what what her shows are like people just cry (laughs) they're so emotional wow I've only seen the dancing in the videos yeah I haven't seen her live yet you must you must next next spring I will names down I hope um the themes are obviously you know an essay in self-excavation this is she is trying to dig deep and you can you know feel that but there's humor in there obviously one of the lines of the year is sexting you at the mental health talk um (laughs) so when I'm buried in the ground I won't be able to make your birthday drinks but I will still feel guilty I mean I think that this is poetry would you agree I do and actually she you can see her songs take shape over the course of the last few years if you follow her on Instagram because she quite often posts her sort of um iPhone notes and that's where a lot of those <laughs> lyrics have a sort of fledgling um appearance um if you've ever spoken to her you've ever spent any time with her she just has this way of absolutely nailing a feeling and nailing and and in a way that's just sort of funny and dark you know lingering I suppose as well mm. It's also a pop record. She's not, um, she was in an indie group before, but this is big. Mega production. There's a lot of mix. There's hip hop. There's dance music. It's, you know, these are anthems. This is the I Will Survive for now, isn't it, really, for us? Yeah. And to go back to her live shows, you know, you see, to be in in a crowd at a self-esteem show is everybody singing back her lyrics at her. So many women, shout, in particular women, shouting back, um, uh, one day I'd like to tell you that the best night of your life was the worst night of mine. I mean, it was just thinking about all those women mm. who've, who've had that experience and how awful that is, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. How does a record called Prioritise Pleasure land when the government is telling us not to prioritise pleasure or we'll all die at the moment, do you think? <laughs> I think it's a nice little two fingers to the government, no? So, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a fitting end to the year, actually. Ted Kessler, you have absolutely amazing taste because you've chosen the same album of the year as me. Tyler, the creator, call me if you get lost. Why is this so great for you? Why do you love it? It's the record I've listened to all year long. I, I, uh, not all year long, all summer long, definitely. Um uh, it came out the week I went to Ibiza on holiday in the summer, and uh, it lived in my ears for for two weeks. Wherever I went anywhere, I tried to get away from the family just to listen to the record. It's got so many levels of humour and sounds, and he's just so he's very he's deep. He's funny. Um, mm-hmm. The sound mm-hmm. of his music is. Um, it's very contemporary, but also it, it has a kind of imaginary universe of, of, a, of a traditional hip hop that probably didn't really exist. Um, mm-hmm. He's got DJ Drama as a as the compare of the record, and that melds it all together. Um, it's tender, and it's also really horrible in places. 
um, yeah, it's yeah. it's a whole world that you can that I've been, I've been lost in for months. <laughs> and he's evolved. I think one of the things about being a good pop star is that you can say that was me then. I am a very different human being now. I mean, you know, he liked boys on Igor. He likes girls on uh, this one. Well, he you know, likes both things like that. that catch it by I surprise. Think that's the thing. <laughs> you yeah. like anything at this stage. He's all, yeah, so he shows his vulnerability, but he's also very, very funny. very funny. Is this the emotional temperature of great pop now? I'm depressed, but here's a self-deprecating joke. It's a bit like self-esteem too. I guess it is a bit like self-esteem in that respect. Um, they mm. both they both have fantastic lines, don't they? Um, they're both great yeah. writers. In fact, they'd be good to work together. I wonder if that could ever happen. Oh, imagine. Um, also, Tyler's a Europhile, and this is about escape, and it's about Europe, which I like. It almost has with the, um, is it public service broadcasting record? There are weird parallels with that, yeah. too, which was chosen last week. Um, more importantly, Ted, have you bought into the Nail Varnish and Moleskin Notebook? No, but I was watching his live stream yesterday, um, <laughs> and I was thinking about getting the perfume. Oh, right. I've, I've got the varnish on order and the notebook. Nearly bought the hat. Yeah. Really nearly bought the hat. I mean, it's quite hat. expensive yeah. gear, um, but I would love to go to yeah. a shop. I think we should all go to California. California um, Culture Bunker, Andrew. Yeah. I never knew there was so much kind of uh, diffusion line stuff going on with Tyler. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yes. Oh, yes. Because he got loads of tips from Virgil, a blower. <laughs> so, um, He's incredibly well turned out, isn't he, as well? His clothes are absolutely oh, fantastic. Beautiful. Should we just talk about how beautiful he is for the next half an hour? Yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful He's a handsome, talented <gasps> man. <laughs> Complicated. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's probably enough yeah. of that. That's another podcast in the making. Andrew, <laughs> you're going to have to really, really wrench me off this topic. Mm. You're cheating because you've chosen two albums of the year. What are they? Yeah, I have because I kind of figured that I mean, there's been actually tons and tons of great records this year. And if someone yeah. hadn't already chosen public service broadcasting a couple of weeks ago, I would have chosen that one as well. But what I've gone for is the album Isles by Bicep. Good choice. And also Flat White Moon by Field Music. Mm. Bicep, yeah. of course, the Northern Irish dance music stroke house music duo um of you know they're one of the few of the kind of past you know 10 years or so who've elevated themselves into that that kind of rarefied bracket that people like the chemical brothers have been in for for years um what i love about them is that there's nothing whatsoever that's generic about them you instantly know they have a they have a fingerprint they have a sound they have an approach that's entirely their own you can tell within a couple of bars that it's them and that's not common in electronic music and in house music in particular um i, I also like the fact that um like my other favorites orbital it's very poignant stuff it is hugely mm. emotional um you know i love a four four pounder as much as anybody else but um you know they 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 have a very delicate touch and a very beautiful touch and i, I you know I, I got to see them this year when they finally got to do their gigantic you know wandering tour with multiple screens where they kind of stand in the middle of the stage in a kind of in a kind of web yeah, of very cubes. envious how was it it was oh, just was it was just it was just amazing um mm, mm. and i think this is a, a a better album than their debut i think it's i mean it does all the things that you want a second album to do which is it's bigger and fuller and it goes to different places but it's still recognizably them and i've played mm -hmm. the living hell out of it all year long it's just <laughs> it's, it's it's both very big and grand and ambitious electronic music and strangely kind of intimate and personal. Something that I wouldn't ordinarily like because it's all guitars mm -hmm. is Flat White Moon by Field Music. Yeah, yeah. Which, and it's very, as I say, it's in sharp contrast. It's in sharp, sharp contrast. But in a weird way, I sort of think that Field Music take all the components of guitar pop and guitar rock and 
sort of dismantle it and reconstruct it kind of balloon animal style, make a complete abstraction out of it. And it's, I think we said on when we reviewed it on on, uh, on the podcast earlier this year that it was like cubist rock music. All of the parts mm. are recognisable, but they're in a completely different shape. You, you know, like when a kid gets um, a Lego uh, kit to make a spaceship, mm-hmm. and they make the spaceship once, but then they just make wild other things yeah. out of all the bits. And it still looks like yeah. a spaceship, but it's completely unrecognisable. I found it just really kind of cheering and freeing as well. It's enormously optimistic. And yet it's still guitars and drums and so on. It's not you know, surprising that Field Music have put records out on Compact, the great German electronic label, because they have, while they may be nominally a rock band, whatever that means, mm. they've got very much an abstract electronic uh, point of view. So it kind of, it ticked boxes in ways I didn't it ticked expect. Ticked robot boxes, It ticked your robot it? box, yeah. but also it's very kind of sensual and um, very kind of human. I found it, I found it very calming, Sean, very calming and energising. <laughs> so there you go. Wonderful. Hot sun. Well, that's what we want music to do, to calm and energise you. It's a bit like going to Neil's yard. Yes. Anyway. So what about TV and film then? We've rolled them into one because they sort of meld into the same thing nowadays, don't they? All epics. (laughs) We spent large chunks of another year stuck indoors. That's fine. Here's a couple of tasters for a couple of our choices. Mayor of Easttown featuring Kate Winslet. And hey, sand gets in your eyes, gets into everything. It's June. The Easttown Police Department received a call reporting a dead body in Creedham Creek. We've decided to bring in a county detective to assist with the case. How do you like working with my mom so far? We're just getting started out. Any tips? Lower your expectations. Should we do this outside? No. All right. Let's go. Hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mayor, what's what happening? She knows what's, what's happening, going on, Tony. Okay? She knows. Mayor, All right, let's go. Are you friends with these people? Yeah. Why do they call you Lady Hawk? I made a shot in a basketball game. Must have been some shot. Around here, yeah. The terrible events of this past year have ravaged this community. Yeah? Who did this? You get the son of a bitch. Because if you don't, I'll kill him myself. There's something happening to me. There's something awakening in my mind. I can't control it. What did you see? There's a crusade coming. Do you often dream things that happen just as you dreamed them? Yes. The test is simple. Remove your hand from the box and you die. What's in the box? Pain. You inherit too much power. You have proven you can rule yourself. Now you must learn to rule others. Something none of your ancestors learned. My father rules an entire planet. He's losing it. He's getting a richer one. He'll lose that one too. Arrakis is a death trap. Kill them. This is an extermination. They're picking my family off one by one. Let's fight like demons. An animal caught in a trap 
will gnaw off its own leg to escape. What will you do? Laura Barton, you chose Mayor of East Town, which is the exceptionally gritty cop show starring Kate Winslet as a police chief in the smallest, smallest, small town in America. And it ran on Sky earlier this year. So set it up for the listeners. Who is Mayor of East Town? She's a small town cop and in this sort of washed grey town. I think it's Pennsylvania, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, she's trying to solve uh, a um, murder of a... A young woman. I don't want to put spoilers in here. I'm trying to remember. (laughs) Not to cross over lines, but um, it's just a very difficult, close-knit, complicated community. And she's got her own personal life. You know, in a way, the setup isn't radical. And you've heard this story a million Mm. times. Mm. But the way that it's done, I thought, was incredibly uh, beautiful at time. You know, and I think Kate Winslet, I really loved her in that type of role. Well, a lot of people agree with you. Got rave, Good. rave reviews, and the word "gritty" is banded about here, there, and everywhere. But it is gritty. She's not necessarily, and because it's Kate Winslet, it's not a vanity piece. She doesn't look beautiful in every shot. She doesn't want to, and she said that in interviews. In certain points, she was after realism more than anything else. Are those some of the reasons why it stuck with you? Yes, I think so. And, and yeah, that grittiness, even even extent, I became completely fascinated with the terrible food she eats throughout. I mean, I just, I just wanted to eat some vegetables constantly. Um, but um, yeah, I think, I think so. I do like that. I'm almost back to self-esteem in a way. I do like that kind of absolute honesty. I mean, I suppose honesty has to be put in inverted commas, right? But um, uh, yeah, I just think any actor not being pretty, not caring about gleaming on, on screen is just a joy mm. for me. And just also mm-hmm. anything that has sort of, massive nuance and there are so many layers even sort of strands of that story that weren't really fully explored because it's just that things are left to hang and because that's the way life Mm -hmm. really is right so um I just think all of that was allowed yeah it just allowed itself to be messy and she allowed herself to be messy and human and and that was yeah refreshing. Mm -hmm. Andrew Harrison being a propeller-headed space nerd who cannot relate to human beings and really liking robots, you've chosen Denis Villeneuve's adaptation of Dune. Why was it so good? Denis, for you? Denis, I've got a crush on him. Um, no, this is like you're absolutely right, Sean. I can't relate to human beings at an emotional level, only through abstraction and robots and things like that. Um, Dune. Uh, it's a bit of a cop out, isn't it? Film of the year is Dune because it was so ballyhooed and it was, there was so much riding on it. It was you know the major the major release of the year, but it is fantastic. It is it is faithful to the book. Not that that should matter in any way to the to the general audience. They don't care about the book, but it is faithful mm-hmm. to the book to Frank Herbert's very very big ideas about the grand sweep of history. Um, the you know the idea that the the universe in which we live might change in, in over ten thousand years in ways we probably wouldn't have expected from our kind of mm. you know western science based um way of looking at things the universe of dune um is a place where the kind of cultural underpinnings of society are islam where computers are anathema and what has emerged instead is a um, you know a kind of rebirth of the great houses of the middle ages so you're in mm. an imperial universe with an actual emperor and a family that's been given charge over a um over a desert planet where an important resource for space travel the spice melange is is produced and yet for all of that kind of Dungeons and Dragons uh you know airbrush artwork stuff mm-hmm. it's very very um pertinent I think because what Dune is about is about imperialism it's about 
taking a planet's resources and treating its people as chattels. And the central character, Paul Atreides, is supposedly on the path of uh, you know, following in his father's footsteps as the duke and absolute ruler of this planet, and is actually going to be a kind of agent of change for the entire universe. This is all, you know, meaty thematic stuff. But the most important thing is, it just looks so stunningly, incredibly gorgeous. Uh, Denis Villeneuve has um, this; uh, he, ha- he has an aesthetic that is his. The strange things like the you know, gigantic, colossal ceramic spaceships and architecture of a very particular kind. We saw it in um, in his Blade Runner sequel. And it's not just on the on the grand scale of production design and the aesthetic. The performances are uniformly fantastic. Timothy Chalamet as Paul is, you know, he manages mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, fill the kind of hero's journey role without ever um, conforming to any of the stereotypes of it. He's not your standard muscular, overbuilt, um, you know, hyper macho leading man. He's a he's a, a person full of doubt and confusion. Um, Charlotte Rampling is in it. Mm. She's fantastic. And, and what Laura was just saying about older women, um, you know, the, the, way they, the way they're presented. Well, this is a great film for mm. roles for older women and roles for people who don't fit the um, template. The, the, the one who fits it most is actually the least interesting character, which is uh, Jason Momoa, a.k.a. Aquaman, who plays Duncan Idaho. He does a lot of punching yeah. and fighting. And there is a lot of punching and fighting in this as well. It's a full-service movie. The main criticism people had was, it's a bit long and it's a bit boring. And I know that top <laughs> film critic Sean Patton found it a bit long and a bit boring. Person- Oedipal as well. Uh, what, I found it weird. <laughs> I didn't understand the Oedipal undercurrents <laughs> of him running away with his mother. But there you go. Well, you know, uh, personally, I thought I mean, this is a long film, to, which to me felt like a very short it film. Um, it's it. Part one of what will be at least a two-part. I know. Part one. <laughs> yeah, but I got to the end of two and a half hours, and I'm like, oh no, you're stopping on you. Well, I thought we could keep going for a bit. <laughs> you haven't mentioned the worms; they were my favourite. The worms bit. are great. The, the giant sandworms. Giant, worms really giant really sandworm. I don't know about you, Sean, but I thought they were the most realistic giant sandworms I'd ever encountered. They just looked <laughs> like too. the real thing. I thought <laughs> they get that award, don't they? they? Yeah. So I was just yeah. delighted at every level, partly because you know, Steve. being a you know a, a, a fan and a follower who read these things at, at an impressionable age, I loved it because it really mm. hit the spot and it didn't have sting in his plastic underpants in it. <laughs> but also trying to be objective, it's also a fantastically ambitious, clever. Um, bold pit, bit of movie making that doesn't patronise its audience. By the way, I also mm-hmm. nearly went for No Time to oh, Die. Yes. So why? Because I've heard so many mixed reviews and I never got to I see it. I think it's the best James Bond movie. And I wanted to talk to Ted really? a little bit about this because I know Ted's seen it. I mm-hmm. think it's fantastic because it is the film in which Bond himself and also the entire Bond-supporting cast have to deal with the reality of what being uh, a hired government killer would, me- would mean to you and what it would do to you. Everybody in the Bond, in the Bond universe is bent out of shape by being a, being in the uh, in the spy game. What did you think, Ted? Did you uh, did you like it? I did enjoy it. I did like mm. it. What I would say is that it's the first time I've been to the cinema in eighteen months, and it was at yes. Sa- and it was at South Woodford Odeon, and it was a very tight squeeze in a very mm. full cinema with people shouting coughing so that kind of that 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 did color it slightly for me but it was a it was a zippy zippy watch there was uh it was zippy i mean i didn't like it as much as you like dune which i've never heard anyone enjoy a film quite like you that is really impressive i mean you know it's james bond i don't want to give it away but how it ends but i mean it's it's there's a it's got a finality to it yeah yeah um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens next in the Bond franchise, which surely can't die. Clues in the title. Clues in, yeah. That's true. Um, yeah, That's true. I think why I think the reason I liked it was because 
it is an ending of sorts. And we never see endings in franchise movies. And, you know, franchises in general. I'd love to watch the very final Doctor Who story. It would break my heart, but I'd love to see the end. I'd love to see, you know, where yeah. it all lands. Yeah. And, you know, big entertainment is great at beginnings and great at middles, and nobody ever writes an ending. Sopranos had a good end in there. I mean, you can end things yeah. where, it, where it's obviously the end and they can't be anymore. Um, and it's yeah. satisfying to have that. Ted, we're also going to be choosing our moment or happening of the year. And you know about this because your TV moment and your happening apparently won the same. Yeah, I mean, my, my TV and my happening moment was um, mm. R- Raheem Sterling scoring the first goal for England in the Euros this summer. Now, I have, I have to say that I don't support England. You know, this, I'm not patriotic. I, I, I usually cheer if England lose in football matches. I have no real affinity of those players. They're usually big-time mm. Charlies from clubs that I, I just normally would hate. But I, it, I really like this group of players. And um, mm. I guess it happened at a time when we'd been locked inside and we were just started to creep out. If you remember that first game, there was, the stadium was, I don't know, maybe a quarter full of fans. Yeah. Um, and so and we were just piping the cheers in. Yeah, we, we were sort of creeping out. And, and Raheem Sterling had been having such a a, a bad uh, time from the, the, the press at that, at that moment. And also from fans booing him, taking the knee, etc. And this group of players, they seem like they're, they're socially aware, they're smart. Mm, they represent an England that I... I like, I want to be part of, um, thinking of Saka, Rice, Henderson, I mean, in particular, Rashford and Sterling. And for Sterling to score the goal that won the first game and kind of just put Mm. an end to all of that nonsense about the knee, which is a pretty, which is a small, which is like a 10 second protest against racism. It's not like, it's it's not an imposition really, is it? So just, Mm. he just ended that with that goal. And I think Mm. for a couple couple of weeks until everyone went mad in in the final, um, we had a really it, it opened the door to the country, and, and mm. so that's my moment and my TV moment. Laura, your happening of the year was mm. TikTok reaching one billion downloads. Can you please explain this young person's phenomenon <laughs> and why it matters to our audience of possibly people who are not young persons? Yeah, I should probably should probably add that I I suggested this in our email thread and was shut down, and then I did my impassioned <laughs> speech about why we should because I just think these things are really fascinating and. We should always pay attention to what is shifting the ground beneath our feet without us necessarily directly noticing. So, you know, I think I use as an example, Mm -hmm. Instagram making our sort of concept of what's beautiful very different over the past sort of, Mm -hmm. I don't know, 10 years. And it's the same thing with with TikTok and how we listen to music, what we listen to, or how um, what we see on screens is structured even. What's funny, Mm -hmm. um, the speed of it. Is going, is going to change and is changing even if your audience aren't on TikTok, you know? So, you know, Sea Shanties this year, I'm just going to stick to music for this one, but Sea Shanties yeah. came out, that that was from TikTok when that whole Sea Shanties revival came. There's an artist called Pink Panthers who's, who is amazing. That came from TikTok because so many record labels mm-hmm. are signing artists from TikTok, not not from, you know, seeing things live because who can see things live? Is it um, changing the way we listen to music or how m- music is delivered or how stars are found or all of those things? All of those things. And, and it's, and it's you know, artists have been sort of um, rediscovered by new generations and reinterpreted. So, you know, Life Without Buildings is probably a big example. Black Box Recorders had a, a bit of a rush this year yeah. as well. You know, and that's 
I think that's wonderful. It's a little bit like when we first got iTunes and suddenly all the kids who would be too scared to go to a record store counter and ask for, let's think of a wild example, but let's say you're into reggae and suddenly actually you want to listen to Nirvana. But you could do that from the privacy of your own iTunes account. And it's a similar thing now. Like you can, There's no limits to what you can discover. And it's very, very funny as well. I should add that. There are so many very funny. Okay, you're almost persuaded me. I downloaded it and it was, quote unquote, too loud (laughs) earlier in the year. It was just all of it was music, but in that jingle, everything's really compressed. Oh, yeah. Capital radio feel. And that's what I found very difficult to listen to and I had to delete it. I was just going to say it's the biggest A&R tool they have at the moment. And I was talking to someone from from one of the major labels at Universal and Mm -hmm. he was saying that that is what, that is their A&R tool. That that's how they've signed all their acts in the last 18 months is via TikTok. That it's, it's influencing music culture in, in a bigger way than any other medium, including concerts. So there you go. I better re-download it then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. I'm not. Kids. I'm too old. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not no, doing such it. no such thing. No such thing. You're right. Andrew, you've gone for something very basic for your happening, haven't you? I have. It may be the most obvious one in the world, but I mm-hmm. thought it was quite instructive. It's the return of ABBA, ah. which nobody had expected. And the world went uh, kind of mad for about a week. Um, and it was terribly, terribly exciting. When the record came out, it really wasn't very good. I didn't don't think it had a handful <laughs> of things on it that were okay. But generally, it was the least interesting end of, end of ABBA. You know, I think... The, the 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 kind of the real enthusiasts wanted uh, the visitors and Sawnite City and what they got was kind of Mamma Mia really but then kind of Mamma Mia is what shifts units. I'm not so interested in the record. I'm interested in the next phase of ABBA, which mm-hmm. is this Avatar um, kind of uh, band sponsored. Uh, version of themselves which will exist in perpetuity it's abba in the 70s which is the abba that you want but performing now via motion capture and holograms in a purpose-built venue in east london now i think this is actually the beginning of the true history of popular music i think we've all been living through and working through the preamble when the artists were actually alive and when you could interview them and photograph them and when they put out new records. But the music that's really going to last, you know, we know that the Beatles are going to last the way that Beethoven has lasted, and ABBA probably will last in the same way. It will last over periods of hundreds of years in this form. You know, ABBA will not be the only artists to um, to be preserved in this way. You will see all the big hitters reanimated and revived in this style. Isn't that the most depressing thing that anyone's ever said, though? Well, I don't know because we don't, we have no problems with theatre and rap, do we? Um, should we have a problem with pop music and rap? At least it'll be the music they themselves played. I don't want the Beatles. I want ABBA. Yeah, well, I mean, you know. No, I mean, it. I'm, I'm being genuine. I'm not being flippant. I find this really depressing that yeah, everything is too. then going to be an aspect. I do too. I do. Everything feels like it hasn't moved on. There yeah. is something that we venerate about this template of this is what this group could be like, this is what this group could be like. I find that deeply, deeply. I'm unsettling. not saying it's going to be brilliant. I'm not I'm saying not it's going to be terrible, yeah, but I'm saying it's going to be the way it's going to be. I think we've uh, we have yet to get to grips, and I'm return to this now and again on the podcast. Mm. We're yet to get to grips with the implications of the fact that all recorded music will be preserved as originally recorded in perpetuity. There's no original masters of Mozart. You can't get Debussy's early stuff, right? <laughs> it's all in rep. It's all performed by somebody else. Mm. But you can listen to pretty much every note that uh, most artists have recorded, um, and you will still be able to do that in a thousand years' time. So I think. 
I mean, in many respects, it is bad because it, it'll be it'll put the brakes on culture. Mm-hmm. It'll stop things changing. It'll stop things becoming violently different. And yet, <laughs> there will still be other ways of, of of things to change. You know, from left field. Much as I'm scoffing at TikTok, it is changing mm-hmm. things in a way nobody mm-hmm. could have predicted. But you will have to get used to the fact that uh, you know pop and rock music will become a repertory form, and your great great grandchildren will probably be going to the uh, half man half biscuit experience in Birkenhead. <laughs> <laughs> to see the original band performing the original artists, oh, uh, but as original material rather. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm, let's move on from this <laughs> horrifying future scenario. It's not about the big stuff. It's about discovering small stuff that you've never heard of that blows your veritable wig off. Our guests, Ted Kessler and Laura Barton, have had their ears permanently to the ground of pop all year, because that's what they do. And they've got a couple of thoughts for you, as does Andrew Harrison. So here's a couple of their choices. chosen the rackety lo-fi sounds of Juan Waters and the <laughs> album if that's how you pronounce it real life situations that track was called monsoon who's this person what they're about he's a guy from Uruguay who moved mm-hmm. to New York with his family when he was a young teenager um around 2002 and his music is a kind of blend of those two geographies um his last two albums came out in 2019 and they were sort of recorded on the road and the other sort of lovelorn sweet natured acoustic numbers um, and this latest record which came out this year real life situations is a sort of mm-hmm. a much bigger mix of sounds the sort of latin hip-hop beats um he sings in spanish and english mm-hmm. a bit of reggaeton some squelchy synths sort of kind of all over the place and he said that he wanted to make a record that sounds like when you arrive in a new country and you're flicking through the radio 
and you're mm. going from all the local radio stations, they go, and you, you get different sounds blending together, and that's how you found out oh. what something sounds like or how the area yeah. sounds like. And that's kind of what he's done with this record too. And it's got that kind of, uh, it's, on top of it, it's got a kind of, he's got a very endearing sort of melancholic personality, sort of a bit like Jonathan Richmond, I suppose, mm-hmm. but uh, from Uruguay. The track we played is very Prince, Sign of the Timesy. It's right, warped yeah. bits to it, and it is, as I say, yeah, it's just sort of lots of things melting on top of each other. Is the rest of the record similar? Yeah, but it's kind of it's similar, but there's also there's some there's sort of Latin sounds on it. There's also some acoustic sounds, but there's also a little bit of hip hop beats. It's 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 a real mixing pot of stuff. Life is incredible as well, I have to say, and he's coming over I think in March. So I really do recommend people to go see him. Okay, okay. Laura, yeah. you've chose, chosen a record so nano we could hardly find it. <laughs> Not least because the band is called White Electric Guitar. <laughs> and guess what? When you Google White Electric Guitar, you get a lot of music shop links. Yeah. Tell us about them. Well, the delightful thing is I can tell you next to nothing about them. And that's what I, <laughs> apart from my love of the music, is I love that in this day and age, there can be an artist who I love passionately and I know sod all about them. And you can Google mm. them. You can even Google the album title, which is Trans White Solid Karina Body, and still mm-hmm. just get a load of music shops, right? Um, but it's uh, it's yeah. on Bandcamp, it's on Spotify and other streaming services. It seems to be one guy, he's apparently based in London, Bandcamp tells me, I think he might be Scottish. I, that's just from Ooh. listening to the album a lot. I may be wildly yeah. wrong. Some of the, there's some little sort of sampled spoken word bits that sound, you know, mm-hmm. vaguely Scottish, some of it. Uh, but it's a lot of mm. quite furious guitar music. Some of it reminds me of early Beck, and it's just the riddle of it. And some of it makes me think a bit of Mogwai and those kinds of bands that I was listening to when mm. I was sort of mm. late teens. And um, yeah, I just think it's it's a wonderful, wonderful, intense album. It's brilliant to drive to but I almost don't want to know anything more. Well, I, I know about a little bit about him. He's called no. Maxwell Granger and he's don't a very, very lovely this. chap. What? I've, have, I just, have I destroyed it to, for you? I, I no, no longer I, want I got to listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> I got hold of him via SoundCloud to get the tune and he was very, very nice. Aww. So the track oh, that's played a nice is Clutch Pedal. The tune has a car, presumably. Yeah, and we're going to put that on the on the rolling playlist as well. So shout out to Maxwell. Lovely chap. Thanks, Maxwell. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Andrew Harrison, what's your one that got away? Well, it's I thought it was one that got away, and then uh, so I chose it, and then mm. I looked at all the best of lists that came out this week, and it's on it. Um, it's an album yeah. uh, by an artist called Eris Drew, D-R-E-W, mm. and the uh, album's called Quivering in Time. It is house music with proper rave energy, um, the likes of which I've not heard in a good while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eris is a trans DJ from Chicago, and she made it in the woods in New Hampshire, possibly the least ravery, raving place one can imagine <laughs> yeah. uh, a wooden cabin somewhere um she's just she's just got it she just understands what it's all about this is euphoric it's emotional it's got uh, clever little twists to it uh, it's very full and beautiful in the way that the best of house music always was mm-hmm. but it feels very very contemporary i know again very little about about eris but i've been doing some nosing around pop fact debut debut uh, release was a track uh, was an ep called raving disco breaks volume one and that's speaking to me in my language there but the the uh, the album 
quivering in time uh runs across the emotional landscape it's bits of it feel like early 90s rave bits of it feel like kind of emotional ambient reveries uh but it really does you know eris knows how to marshal a beat and um Mm -hmm. The name, uh, the name that she chose for herself after she transitioned uh, is the name of the Greek goddess of chaos. I was so, just about to say, is that not the name of the Greek goddess of chaos? That was a Ken Campbell is. thing that he was really obsessed by. When yeah. you're having a party, everybody, you invite Eris. You have to invite <laughs> Eris because she will arrive if you haven't invited her anyway. So you have to invite chaos into your life. Yeah, that's cool. Now, yeah. one one of the numerous great things about Eris is um, she knows her way around the history of her own music. So the she takes the loaded sample. You know, we want to get free oh, yeah, to do what yeah, we'll yeah. do. That's in there. But also, oh, there's a tra- there's a, yeah. a sample of Hazy Fantasy and how a person in Chicago knows about Hazy Fantasy. I have no yeah. idea. Uh, and it's just this. It's the voice of Kate Garner. Now, the great fashion photographer Kate Garner going. Good times come to me now, and I suspect that Eris knows this because it was sampled by Eight Eight States in about 1991. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all. All these things come to you through different paths and it all came together in this one brilliant, brilliant Absolutely. record. It's called Quivering in Time. And I was alerted to it by listener Joe McRae. So well done, listener Joe McRae. Thank you. And uh, we couldn't clear a track in time, but we're going to put the track Loving Clave, as in Synth Clave here, I think. We're mm. going to put that on the playlist and listeners see what you think. Fantastic. Finally, our tracks of the year. What have we chosen and why are they better than Dua Lipa, who's not that bad anyway? I think Andrew <laughs> wrote that bit. The Curse of Clearance strikes again, but we do have Cassandra Jenkins with Hard Drive, which is Laura Barton's choice. So let's give it a listen. And with her pink lipstick and her Queen's accent, she went on for a while about our president. bookkeeper at the end of the seventh ray to tell me what he knew about St. Germain and he told me about chakras and karma and the purple flame, the birth of the cosmos, the ascended masters and the astral plane. He said, you know, the mind, the mind is just a heart. Barton, who is Cassandra Jenkins and what is Hard Drive? Uh, Cassandra Jenkins is a New York-based musician. She's between the city and upstate. She's the daughter of a family of musicians and Mm -hmm. this is her second album and she worked with, I want to say it's Josh Kaufman, that feels like the wrong phrase, but um, Mm -hmm. he's also in, in Bonnie Light Horseman and is sort of a wonder musician whatever but um it's such a beautiful almost laurie anderson-esque record um that has uh, again some sort of uh, spoken wordy type stuff going on particularly this track just an extraordinary track fantastic i really like this one as well oh, wow. I, I was good. delighted to hear this it's so good finding you you don't you know, think you found everything this year <laughs> it's like loads more music than already got away. yeah full-time Ted, job Ted Kessler, you've mm. chosen sharon von Hessen and angel olsen like i used to what's going on here? i have well, I was listening this morning in anticipation of this, and I thought to myself, if this was a song by The Killers, which it could be, 
Mm-hmm. Would I like it? And the answer would be no, definitely would not like it. <laughs> so I guess it's maybe not the song. It's I think it's a, the, the performance of uh, Sharon Van Etten and Angel mm-hmm. Olsen because they're so charismatic and they've not, mm-hmm. I don't think they've sung together before um, or since. I mean, it's just a one-off single and it's um, it struck a note with me because it's, it's, it's a song about a carefree past that's no longer available uh, to either of them. Mm-hmm. And I think it, in this long pandemic, it, that that's that's oh dear. Uh, that's where we're all at um yeah <laughs> so, yeah it's kind of a, an energy for those innocent good times that are gone mm-hmm. andrew what have you chosen well i know i'm a really boring person because i often <laughs> choose really obvious things but the record that i've loved most this year and played to bits mm-hmm. the song is by the chemical brothers and it's called the darkness that you fear and it's just so beautiful and so kind of affecting but also grand and it does that amazing thing of taking the thoughts that you think are private thoughts mm-hmm. about, you know, mm-hmm. how we're all sort of just a little bit adrift and, mm-hmm. you know, the things that make life worth living aren't really there anymore and explodes it into great grand um, drama. And I have played the arms and legs off it. And the great thing about it as well is it's just a single. They just banged it out. They felt yeah, like banging right. a single out. And people don't do that anymore. And, you know, when I was, when I was a youngster, <laughs> you put a single out every six weeks. And if you didn't, you were considered to have resigned from pop music. I think it's lovely. And that one, again, you know, major label, so we can't clear it for the podcast. But that's going on the playlist. Have a listen. Wonderful. It's been such a long, long, weird year that I mm. thought that, that was about three years ago. That's, <laughs> single. that's my memory. So it's the end of the show and indeed the end of the year and that means closing time chatter. What are we going to be talking about over a mulled wine as we stand under a heat lamp outside a pub that won't let us in uh, because we haven't got passes? Ted, what's your closing time chatter for 2021? Well, I'm just excited that this weekend the return of Gamora uh, is upon us. Uh, have you ever seen Gamora? What is Gamora for those of us? I thought it was Gamora, uh, the Gamora, green one from you, Guardians of the Galaxy. Who, what is Gamora? Gamora is uh, massively over the top, over egged, overacted, um, <laughs> humorless <laughs> Ital- <laughs> Italian uh, mafia program okay. uh, series, which I mm. I got quite obsessed with during the first lockdown. Devoured all four uh, seasons. It's just so over the top. There's no jokes. There's no smiles. It's really relentlessly violent. It's set in Naples um, around one uh, crime family. In the, and what I'm excited about, I'm just going to quickly just brief you this and then you can move on. That I'm excited about in the end of season three, one of the main characters was shot in the stomach by the other main character and thrown over a boat into the Bay of Naples. He returns in season five. So the, like, I don't, well, this is it. It's a real Dallas moment. Uh, it's Bobby Ewan coming out of the shower. It's yeah. all of that stuff. It's so that's why I'm most excited about. I, you know, it's uh, I'm a man of very low taste. What what's it giving you that you can't get from conventional British television, like uh, you know, Broadchurch and things? Is it very? Is it the very yeah, Italian? I, I well, I like. I like Italy. I like the Mediterranean. So it's got that. It's moody. Um, and it's just I, mainly because I have to read the subtitles. So I suppose I, I can't work out how bad the, the, the script is because <laughs> I know the script's terrible. But it has. It just has a moodiness, which I'm, I'm excited for and by. Moody and humorless, you've sold me. Yeah. I'm going to give it yeah. a go. Laura Barton, how about you? What's your closing time chatter? 
Bruce Springsteen selling his back catalogue for 500 million. Why is he doing this? And is it worth 500 million? Because a lot of people have been moaning, ooh, what a breadhead Bruce Springsteen is. Hmm. I mean, of course he's worth 500 million. I mean, you know, the entire reason that people are selling their back catalogues is because streaming is now a much more, you know, it's less like the Wild West. It's a much more consolidated format, right? And so everyone's just trying to put all their eggs in that basket and sort out their estates. And, you know, what did Bob Dylan get? 300? Paul Simon 200. Bob's, um, Bruce is sort of more sinkable, really, across the course of his entire career, I would say, than either of those artists, like it or not. So That's um, sinkable as in synchronised, not as in like the opposite of the Titanic. <laughs> then. Well, <laughs> let's wait and see. Uh, yes. Um, yes, that's right. Sorry. Um, but I find, again, a bit like TikTok and a bit like, I mean, I do do A&R on the side. So I do find this stuff really quite fascinating. Um, yeah. And you know, I don't, I don't begrudge Mr. Springsteen five hundred million. If was, you know, no, of course not. No. Do you think there's an element of kind of uh, you know AAA rock star upmanship going on here? So Dylan got three hundred million. I'm going to get five hundred million. I don't. Mac is going to turn around yeah. and want a billion. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think Bruce himself would would sully himself with such thoughts. I think the you know the money people and the the publishing people who deal with that. Bruce is just busy thinking noble thoughts it's Bruce is just busy like <laughs> polishing the wheels of his of his yeah. 72 Camaro and thinking about darkness at the edge of town is that's what you're it. saying exactly as he should what's be, going on Andrew. the steelworks yes yes always mm. perpetually yes Sean speaking of the common man what are your uh, closing time chatters well, um, I have two, and and they are they are in stark contrast, as I think is the phrase I used earlier in the show. Um, succession finale: the bad people at su- Succession, but the finale after we'd had Nigella Lawson on. Definitely I mean, did. come on, what an oversight! Um, because we could have talked to her about the amazing finale, which I will not give away. I just have two words so to good. say: Tom Wamsgans. Thank Wham's you very games. much. Thank you, ma'am. Absolutely. What I've watched it twice. I just watched it again after I'd seen it on, on the evening it was out. Just thinking, I really have to go and see that. I, you know, I just want to see the machinations. Oh my god, it is so fantastic. Um, it was glorious. I'll probably be watching it all Christmas. Just again. So my my question to you is, how does it measure up to the finale of season one? Kendall accidentally on purpose drowns a waiter. <laughs> Season two, Kendall decides to destroy his dad. <laughs> Without saying what it's about, how does it measure up? It measures up pretty well, Andrew Harrison. Is it better than the other ones? It's on a par. It's all on a par. It's just tremendous. And it just becomes, there is a speech between Tom <laughs> and Greg when they are at the wedding of um, Logan's ex-wife. And it's just delicious. I can watch that scene actually just a few it's times. So the, 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 the scripting is so wonderful and the way those characters and the actors yeah. the, the, the interact, the way there is that very, very weird chemistry. Um, it's just fantastic. I can't say any more than that. I'm giving it away. I will tell you my second closing time chatter, which is yeah. Joy of Joys. Today's a funny day. The end of the year. It's all funny. We're all feeling funny, aren't we? We're having a jolly show, but it's all a bit weird. Sleeve of Mods have released their encore. The live encore was Yazoo's Don't Go. They've released the recorded version on all streaming today. So if you are signed up to any of the streaming services, you can go and listen to it now. And it's absolutely fantastic and a jolly, wonderful Christmas gift from the Sleeve of Mods. If I'm trying to think of a single voice from the galaxy of pop music to <laughs> replace that of Alison Alf Moyet, <laughs> it's definitely Jason from Sleaford Mods, yeah. isn't it? 
What a hero. He's a hero for today's time. Bloody Sleeve of Mods um, apron sold out, and I was going to get that for Christmas. Oh, no. Bastards. But anyway, yeah, he's another hero. It's absolutely fantastic. Listen to it now. It will cheer you up. Jolly good. Well, my closing time chatter mm-hmm. is not on quite such a grand uh, festive scale. <laughs> but um, So without too much of a spoiler, because mm-hmm. I know you're all watching the Sex and the City finale uh, uh, no. sequel um, that's just come that's out. Really? Um, no, nobody is, because Sex and the City is dreadful and rubbish. <laughs> but apparently people are cancelling their Peloton subscriptions right. and getting rid of their Peloton bikes. Why? Because somebody dies on a Peloton bike mm. in the Sex and the City sequel. Mm. Um, and... I don't think I've heard anything as stupid in my life as imagining that because a fictional character dies on an exercise bike, <laughs> you should get rid of your exercise bike. But then I think about Sex and the City, and I know we're supposed to think of it as, hey, this is so great and empowering for women. No, it isn't. Nope. It isn't. It is moron New York fantasy. It is hateful. Every woman I know loathes it and cannot bear it. It is a an absolute stupidity factory pumping out moronic <laughs> nonsense and has done for 20 years. Wow. So the idea that people should cancel their Peloton because of something that happened in this stupid show mm. is just about off a piece. Listeners, resubscribe. <laughs> Don't give it away. Um, I saw uh, a very funny tweet, Andrew, that said that uh, Kim Cattrall should uh, should be advertising Peloton now, which I thought would be... <laughs> she should. Sean and Laura, as representatives of all women on the face of the earth, uh, what do you think of Sex and the City? Hate, Are you hate, huge hate, fans? Because hate, the, hate, the papers hate, tell us all women love it. It's one of my least favourite things ever. I just... I, I, Good. So I don't think I've ever watched it. Good. It just wouldn't... It's just not... It's not on the radar. It just doesn't... just goes over my head. It's yeah. every aspect yeah, of awfulness in one TV it. show. Yeah, I can imagine. And on that note, that's the end of the show and the end of 2021 for The Culture Bunker. Thank you to our guests, Ted Kessler. Thank you. And Laura Barton. Thank you kindly. Are you enjoying your supporting role in Hawkeye, by the way, Laura Barton? Always, <laughs> That's what his wife is called. Yeah. I know. Uh, Everyone tells me that, yes. <laughs> 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 yeah. Bit secret agency, don't let on. <laughs> and to everybody who joined us this year, when the Big Mouth podcast transitions to the Culture Bunker, thanks for coming aboard. We hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be back in January. But in the meantime, if you got a taste with the Culture Bunker over this year, our deep catalogue, when we were called Big Mouth, is still out there and available on your favourite podcast platform. Yeah, over two. 250 episodes of Pop Culture Talk going back to 2016. Ted's on it. Laura's on it. All kinds of people are on it. Neil Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys is on it. Sparks yes. are on it. Orbital are on it. People you you know people you know from other walks of life are all over it. So treat yourself and binge over Christmas and we'll be back in the first week of January. Then that is the end of the show. Thank you to producers Robin, Alex and Yelena. We'll see you in 2022. Bye. Bye. Bye.